presents, <laughs> gifts, getting gifts for other people. No, we're not. Well, I have been all week. <laughs> Me and Murray and I both. We've been focused on presents because that's, you know, after all, that's our tradition. That's what we do. We give gifts. And uh, um, so, you know, the focus is really all about the greatest gift that's ever been given in the history of the world. And, of course, that gift is Jesus. And that's what it's all about. And that's the reason we give gifts to one another is because we honor the fact that the greatest gift is Jesus that we've ever had in our lives. How many would just agree with me on that, that Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me besides Murray Snow? Amen. And Kenton. And now Tamar. And Mom. And all of y'all. Amen. Jesus is the best thing. Hallelujah. So... Let's talk about the indescribable gift of Jesus. So number one, let's talk about this, this gift. Number one, the very essence of God is giving. Babe, you got to use a flashlight over there? That's too, that's sad. <laughs> is it lonely, Andor? You want mom to come sit with you? You good? Okay. <laughs> you look good. All right, all right. Real good. Amen. Okay, so the very essence of God is giving. It's no wonder that God would give such an extravagant gift because that's his very nature is to give. In 2 Corinthians 9, 15, it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Indescribable means impossible to describe, exceeding description. Message translation says, thank God for this gift, his gift. No language can praise it enough. Oh, that's good. Amplified says, now thanks be to God for his gift, his precious, beyond telling, his indescribable, inexpressible, free gift. All right. Amen. So throughout scripture, we see that giving is at the heart of God and the understanding of who God is. Even in the very beginning, he gave shape to creation. He gave life to humankind. He breathed into mankind's nostrils the breath of life. He gave him his, he gave us our very breath. He gave human beings the stewardship over the earth. After he made all of this beautiful earth and everything in it, after he called Adam to say, what do you want to name your animals? They were his animals to name. You name them. And they were, whatever, whatever he called it, that's what they were all named. He gave them the right to name things. He gave them a beautiful place to live. He didn't, you know, make them and then say, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Where am I going to put them? He made a beautiful place for them first and then he put, put them there. He gave them something that was already prepared for them. That's good. That's a good place to shout right there. God also gave them freedom and he gave them choice. He said, behold, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing." And cursing, not choose life. So he gives us the right to choose life and to choose blessing. He also gives us the right to choose destruction. Wide is the way and easy is the path that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate and few find it, he says. So he gives us the right to choose that narrow gate. How many of you would just wave your hand this morning and say that narrow gate is the best best gate I ever found? Amen. Walking with Jesus is better than anything I can do walking with fools. Amen. Hallelujah. So he gave us freedom and choice and he gave some boundaries which they quickly broke. He gave them coverings. Listen to this. When they knew they were naked, he covered. Yes, he did. 
made skins for them so that they wouldn't be naked. He gave them a promise of redemption right there in that very same garden. Gave them the promise of redemption. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. God is a giver. James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He even says, you know, if you're lacking something, in most cases we're not lacking something, we're lacking the wisdom to have it or to get it, right? right. So he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Now that's a good God, a God who's always, every time you turn around, he's giving. Every time you turn around, he's reaching down or reaching out or forgiving or being merciful. He's a good, giving God. Even when we mess up, he forgives. Forgives. He's giving even when we mess up. First John 1, 9. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, the amazing giving nature of God caused him to rip back the heavens and come down. You know, people talk about exploring other religions, and I've explored some, but every single one of them are the same except for Christianity. It's mankind trying to reach up to God. But Christianity is God reaching down to man. God gave. God reached down to us instead of us trying to find a way to climb up to him. All right. So he decided that he would just throw back the heavens. Isaiah 64 1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. I see the passion of God in this in this passage right here. That you oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. This was long before he ever did. And Isaiah was prophesying of it. But can you just see the look on God's face as he rips back time, as he rips back eternity, as he rips back his majesty and throws it all behind him and comes down in the form of a man. Message translation says, oh, that you would rip open the heavens and descend, make the mountains shudder at your presence. Ooh, that's good right there because... When you think about the mountains in our lives, I'm not talking about the mountains that we see over, you know, in the landscape. I'm talking about, I think you face some real mountains in your life. Real mountains. You come up against real stuff. God, if this doesn't get moved, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mountains shudder at his presence. He's come down and done something so amazing that we will never be alone again. We will never be defeated on a single score again. As long as we stand with him and stand with his word. The mountains shudder at his presence. That's why Zechariah said, Who are you, O great mountain? Before you, you, before you shall become a plain. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10, 5. It says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. One translation says that he laid aside his majesty, his status, and he took on the status of a servant. One translation says he took on, he put on the disguise of a servant. The king of kings and the lord of lords disguised himself and became fully man, fully subject to being a man. He didn't come 
to be served, but to bow down and serve. Hebrews 2, 17-18, Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. That's real good news right there. If you, you can't be quiet on that one. You've got to say amen. amen. He's there to help us because he became like us. He's the one who sits in our place next to the Father when the, when the justice of God should get us. No. The mercy of God wins because he sits like us next to the Father God. The mercy of God. Because he knew what it was like to feel pain, to be betrayed, to be hurt, to go without. He understood what it feels like. He understands right now what it feels like to be hurt and to not know how to function normally. He understands. Message translation says that's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Wow. Number three, he gives us the courage to face our challenges. Because he came like a man, we can be encouraged when we, when we face challenges because we're not facing them alone. He's with, him. He's with us in Romans 8, 37. It says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we are more than conquerors. Knowing that we're more, more than conquerors, we can face every challenge with courage. Amen. All things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Whatever you face, whatever you did, whatever was done to you, it's going to work together for your good. So you can look at it and you can face that challenge with courage saying, God, I know you're working this for good. You're doing something. You're stirring something into this that's going to make it work out to be awesome for me. I don't understand it. I don't like it, but I trust you, God. I trust you Trust in the Lord With all your heart And lean not to your own understanding In all your ways Acknowledge Him And He will direct your path So no matter what the challenge is He'll direct you through it If you trust Him With all your heart Don't lean to your own understanding Say, God, I don't understand this But I trust you I trust you Hallelujah Number four, he gives us the faith to trust him. Because there's sometimes you can say, how can I trust you in the middle of this? And I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but guard your heart with all vigilance and above vigilance and above all that you guard. For out of it springs the issues of life. Yes. Don't allow yourself to become bitter. Someone is on the verge of becoming bitter. This morning I feel it by the Holy Ghost. Bitterness is a pit. Bitterness is a root that will grow a tree that you don't want to have to tend to. It'll have fruit that you don't want to eat. So dig out that root. Amen? Ooh. Ooh. Don't blame somebody else. Just you want to blame anybody, blame the devil. 
He walks about like a roaring lion seeking somebody that he can seize upon and devour. If you want to blame somebody, blame the devil. Get good and mad at him. Amen. Right, so he gives you the faith. God's going to give you the faith to trust him. And I don't know how to trust. Woo, there's been some stuff I've got about, uh, oh my God. And God had to show me how to trust. When my husband, after 17 years, my ex-husband, after 17 years of marriage, walked off and left me, had an affair with someone who was like a daughter to me, and drove out the driveway. 17 years, drove out the driveway. He was gone like he never was there. I had to swing my legs out of the bed and stand up in what was left of my life. God gave me the faith when I wanted to just be depressed and lay there and just succumb to it. The Spirit of God told me, get up. I've prepared the hearts of the people to follow you. Get up. Get up. So I'm saying to somebody today, get up. Get up. Even though your life looks like you're, you're standing in the midst of ashes, don't look at what's gone. Look at what's left. Look at what you have. Because there's more on your side than there is against you. Get up and keep moving. Get up and keep moving. You know, you have to get in the mirror and have a talk with yourself. I made my way to the bathroom that morning. And I looked in the mirror. And I started to have a talk with myself. After I washed my face and anointed my eyes with some makeup, I started having a, having a talk with my cute self. Say, girl, you just as fine as you can be. This has got nothing to do with you. Amen. So I had to start talking to myself. Say, what really matters has not changed. God said he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. So come on, God, what are we going to do? What's the plan? What's my next step? He may not tell you the big picture of how he's going to fix it, but he'll give you your next step. Trust him for the next step. It's like having a miner's life. You don't need to see what's at the end of the tunnel. You just need to see how to get through the next 10 feet. You're going to need to know basis. God, lead me through the next 10 feet. I trust you for the next 40 yards. Just show me the next 10 feet, 5 feet, or one step. Or one thought. Just show me how to think right. If I can get my thinking right, I can get my talking right. If I can get my talking right, I can get my actions right. Come on this morning, somebody. He'll give you the faith to trust. When you say, I'm bankrupt. I don't have any faith. He'll give it to you. When you think you have nothing else to draw from, you'll hear that still small voice say, get up. Trust me again. Trust me again. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He started a good work in you and he's going to finish it until the day of Christ. (coughs) Number five. Could you give me some water? Number five, he gives us supernatural help in life situations. Thank you. That was supernatural. He already had me some water down here. Thank you, Pete. So he gives us supernatural help. Okay? Well, we know that his word helps. We know, you know, that (coughs) he'll send people to help. But I'm talking about the supernatural power of God. When this indescribable gift of Jesus Christ came to the earth and he became your Lord and Savior, it opened up favor for you in your life. It opened up the door for the supernatural to operate in your life. When you get in faith and you believe God and his word, when you speak his word, declare his word, 
supernatural help is on its way to you. On, Amen. Amen. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. <coughs> For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no, no end. end. So let's just break it down here. It says the government will be upon his shoulder. What does that word government mean? I looked it up last night. I was like, hallelujah. It means the power to prevail. <laughs> the power to prevail will be, because it sounds like the government is something heavy would be on his shoulders. No, what's on his shoulders is easy to be carried. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy and learn my burden is right is, is light. Yeah. Take the power to prevail upon you. Yeah. The government is on his shoulders. The power to prevail. So that means you've got power to prevail in every situation. Supernatural power to prevail because that's what's on his shoulders. Wonderful. It means a miracle. A marvelous thing. A wonder. He's a supernatural God. And he's able to help us with supernatural help. He'll talk to somebody about you. You'll get a phone call from somebody right in the nick of time. Where God will call somebody to use their power, ability, and influence to help you. That wasn't even on your radar. That's God getting involved in your life supernaturally. Hallelujah. Counselor. You don't know what to do? He's a counselor. He'll talk to you. He'll give you advice. He'll let you know what your next step is. Counselor means to advise, to deliberate, to resolve, to consult, to guide, and purpose. As the counselor, he keeps you focused on purpose. How many of you know it's easy to drift? Yeah. If you've got a compass and you're trying to follow a compass, but you get off, it gets off just a little bit, and, and, you, and, you, and you go a different way than the way the compass is telling you, how many of you know by the end, the further you, it, it can be just off a little bit. It doesn't have to be this far. Just a little bit. And you end up way far from where you're supposed to be. Amen. So it's easy to drift off of purpose. And and not remember that my purpose is to be a light for God. Really, my purpose in my family is to show the love of God. My purpose to my children is to raise them to know God. And to show, that's my true purpose. It's not just about going to work and getting food and coming home and feeding people and getting up and going tomorrow and doing the same thing over and over. Life is about my purpose. God has put God purpose in each and every one of us. And he as the counselor will keep talking to you to keep you on that purpose. But you got to be listening, amen? He's a mighty God. That means he's powerful. He's a warrior. He's a champion. I love that. He's the valiant one, strong, chief, and he's a giant. Glory to God. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb. Come on, his blood was not just blood from another spotless Lamb, but his, his blood was precious blood given for the sins of man. So his blood... Is able, it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never ever lose its power. So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the power of the blood in our lives, and the word of our testimony. He's a mighty God because I say He is. Amen. He already is. But I make Him bigger with my words. When you get down and you get depressed, and you begin feeling like I'm nothing, I'm nobody, nobody cares about me. Whenever you lift God up and you make God bear, you make him the mighty God that he yeah. is. You allow him to be mighty in your life. Amen. So don't get in agreement with what your head is saying. 
You got to declare what God's word says. He's an everlasting father. That means he's a perpetual father. He's a constant father. He's a never-ending father. And in Hebrews 13, 5, let me read it to you in the Amplified. I got it. I, I looked it up on the way to church this morning. And uh, God said, read it. So let me read it to you because somebody needs to hear this. It says um, in Hebrews 13, 5, write it in the margin of your paper there so you can remember to look this up in the Amplified Classic Edition. It says... Let's see. He got, okay. For he, God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. He's an everlasting father. Everlasting father. Nobody can snatch you out of his hands. Amen. He's an everlasting father. And he is the prince of peace. And that means the captain, chief, ruler, the keeper of shalom. The word peace is shalom. And it means a whole lot more than just peace or feeling, feeling peaceful. It's a whole lot more. Shalom is welfare, health, happiness, prosperity, perfect peace. Safety, rest, and all is well. Number six, he gives us the gift of wholeness. This indescribable gift, Jesus Christ, gives us the gift of wholeness. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, for a child has been born, in the message translation, for a child has been born for us. The gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. Prince of Wholeness. That's what peace and shalom really means. Your wholeness. That word has been on my heart all morning long. Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow. And there will be no limits to the wholeness He brings. Wholeness means the state of being unbroken or undamaged. How many of you know that life can beat you up pretty good? Things can happen in our childhood that even begin to form our personalities. It causes us to be broken. We don't know how to function normally the way God wants us to function. The Prince of Peace. The Prince of Wholeness. The Prince of Wholeness. There's no limit to the wholeness he brings. He can take you and fix you everywhere you hurt. Does it happen overnight? I haven't seen it happen overnight. With me, it was a process. But you get in on this process with God, and you allow him to work on you. Will you never fall again? No, you'll probably have some mess ups. I have. And that's why the, the longer you walk with God, the more you appreciate his mercy. More you appreciate because you start off going, Woo, I'm so I'm I'm the hottest thing going. I'm I'm not ever gonna mess up. You really think you're never gonna mess up. But then you do mess up and you're like, Ooh, what do I do now? I brag so much I wasn't ever gonna mess up. <laughs> you go you run for the mercy of God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Thank you. My church is awake this morning. Amen. So he wants you to be unbroken and undamaged. 
Number seven, he gives us the gift of his presence. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew 1, 23. He breaks it down and says, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Matthew 27, 51. It says, and then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked. And the rocks were split. What does that mean? The veil of the temple was torn in two. When Jesus was on that cross. And he said it is finished. He gave up his ghost and he bowed his head. He said father into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And he bowed his head. And he died. He gave up his life. Nobody took it. He bowed his own head and he died. And when he did at that very moment. The veil in the temple. That separated the holy of holies. From all the rest of the regular people. The only person who could go behind into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. Was if the high priest could go. And that was only once a year. And he had to go in sprinkling blood. Sprinkling blood on the mercy seat. What happened was. Jesus' blood was on the mercy seat in heaven. Though The mercy seat here on earth is a copy of the truth. The Bible says what's actually in heaven is a mercy seat in heaven. That has been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. For the everlasting covenant that God has made with his people. That blood always cries out on our behalf. That, that blood, how many of you know the blood cries out? The blood on the mercy seat cries out to God for our mercy. Amen. So at that moment, when, the, when, when the, the true mercy seat in heaven was sprinkled with the blood of Christ and, and, and the, the law of God had been justified, it had been taken care of by what Jesus did on his own for us, then the veil of the temple here on this earth was torn in two. This was a three foot thick curtain wall thing. And it split from the top to the bottom, signifying that God was the one who had done it. It didn't split from the bottom up. We didn't do it. He did it. And, and, and now that's to signify that we can freely, now I can boldly come to the presence of God. Boldly approach the throne of God. Amen. There's nothing between God and me. Me and God, we've been put back in right relationship with Him. Hallelujah. The gift of His presence. There's no more separation. No more of that stuff. Jesus has no more killing a goat and a this or a that or a dove or this or that. One sacrifice has been made that needed to be made and it's done. We have a new and better and everlasting covenant with God. It will never take away and it causes us to have His presence here with us. Number eight. He gives us the gift of overcoming a small beginning. Overcoming a small beginning. Micah 5.2 says, O Bethlehem, you are but a small Judean village, yet you will be the birthplace of my king, who is alive from everlasting ages past. So Bethlehem was the smallest of the smallest of the small, but it became the greatest because that's where Jesus would come from. And then it seemed like Jesus was always aligning himself with the least and the lowest. And of course he grew up in Nazarene, which was a place that was full of Gentiles that the Jews didn't really have much to do with. They wore long hair there. And uh, that's where Jesus was from. That's where he grew up. John 1, 46. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> if he came from the other side of the tracks neighborhood. Zechariah 4.10. It says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So I don't care where you've come from, what kind of a small beginning, slow start, a late start, 
whatever, what have you. God causes us to be able, and he gives us the gift of overcoming a small beginning. He says, though your beginning, in Job 8, 7, though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase, how? Abundantly. So though you started with a, a, a small beginning, your latter end will increase abundantly. Amen. Can somebody get in agreement with this year being a year of, of abundant increase? I'm about to abundantly increase. In every area. Till God gets so much glory on my life. Amen. How's God going to get glory if you don't abundantly increase? Woo! I'm ready to have some abundant increase. Amen. In every area of my life. Not just supply, but in everything. Amen. Abundantly increase. Increase abundantly. Psalm 8, 3 through 6. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man? That you are mindful of him. And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. Now that's actually not a good translation. The word angels is actually translate, translated angels because they could not believe what it said. It said you've created him a little lower than Elohim, which is God. We're created above the angels. We're created in the image and the likeness of God. Angels are not. Amen. But they translated angels. But you can put a mark through that and put Elohim. Right there. Elohim is the name for God. Elohim means strong creator. He's created him a little lower than Elohim. And you have crowned him with glory and with honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. He's the savior of small beginnings. He's the savior of small things. Matthew one twenty one says, and she shall bring forth the son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Amen. Jesus means God saves. Then number nine, he gives us the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And eternal life, and forgiveness, eternal life is one, this is one of the first things that we receive. You know, at salvation, but we don't actually walk in that eternal life. I mean, we've already started with eternal life because we're never going to die. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that believes in me shall never die. So we, we lay down this earth suit for a bit, but then we pick it back up again on the day of, of, uh, of the resurrection. So forgiveness and eternal life. Don't check out on me just yet. Micah seven eighteen. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant overlooking the sins of his special people? So he's wrapped this gift in so much love. This indescribable gift. It's wrapped up. You know, we've been busy wrapping our love wrapping presents. But it's wrapped up in love. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. For God so loved that he... John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We ought to rejoice every day that I'm not in darkness. I'm not going to hell like I was before I found God. I have everlasting life to look forward to. I heard somebody say, what is eternal life going to be like? I heard him say, it's like if you walk to Florida and picked up one grain of sand. One grain of sand from the beach in Florida. And you walked all the way to California. How long that would take. 
When you get to California, you drop off that grain of sand and pick up a grain of sand from California and you walk it all the way back to Florida and exchange it and keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that till all the sand is exchanged from both both uh, uh, beaches and you haven't even scratched the surface on eternity. All right. That's a long time. And it don't involve all that work. We won't be transporting sand. Amen. Message translation, y'all listen to this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. And you know that love is so awesome that he even says there's nothing that can separate us from it. Romans 8, 31 through 39 in the message, y'all, this is awesome. It says, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone's going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble. Not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. The Bible calls it an indescribable gift, but let's give it a try. If I can quote the late Dr. S.M. Lockridge, he says, My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's an ethnic king. He's king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. There's no means. There are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of the shore of his supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's empirically powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the grandest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of historic theology. He's the miracle of the ages. He's the superlative of everything good that you could choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's the almighty God who guides and keeps all his people. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges the debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. 
He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. That's my king. Do you know him? Well, my king is a king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislature. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Can you say it? That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. <laughs> and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. That's my king. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. And he is irresistible. The heavens of heavens can't contain him. Uh, let alone some man explain it. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't outlast him. You can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. They could, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle it. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my key. He's always been and he always will be. I'm talking about the fact that he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There's nobody before him and there's nobody coming after him. You can't impeach him and then, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Hallelujah. That's my king.
part of our life is that our holy God is with us and goes before us and makes the crooked places straight. A holy God of the angel armies goes before us and brings every mountain down and lifts up every valley. You make the crooked, you open oh, the double doors of favor for us. Amen. Hallelujah. The richest part of life is knowing that you are here. Emmanuel. 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 You are with me. Hallelujah. We give you glory. We give you glory. If you are seated in the presence of God, right where you are, just go ahead and be seated. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, you say, Pastor Sally, I'm here this morning, but I'm not right with God. I'm here this morning, but I've walked away from Him. I'm here this morning, but I've never given my life to Him. Never fully given my life to Him. Say, Pastor Sally, would you pray for me? I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. With all your heart. God wants your heart. He's after your heart. He's such a passionate and loving God. He's after our hearts. Come with all your heart this morning, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Come back to him. Come to him for the first time. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You mean it in your heart. As you pray to God right now, he's listening. Say this prayer with me. Say, Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I have messed up. Sometimes on purpose. And sometimes, I'm sure I just didn't know. But I'm sorry for offending you, transgressing your law. I believe you sent Jesus to die in my place on that cross. And I believe that you raised him from the dead on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Teach me. Guide me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm trusting you alone to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you prayed that prayer. You meant it in your heart. A wonderful thing has just happened. Your name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're back in the right relationship.